Hey, what's up, tribe? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. This week, I chat with Claire Wakefield, who is a clinical naturopath and TFC foot nerd based in Melbourne. Claire has a background in movement and rehabilitative personal training, as well as holistic lifestyle coaching. She helps people integrate the principles of natural living and holistic health through her business, Natural Body Lab, which you can find on Instagram, at Natural Body Lab. In this episode, we talk through the fundamentals of good food, how you can tell if your nutritional needs are being met, the importance of preparing, cooking, and sharing your meals, and some simple strategies for improving digestion. This episode is brought to you by TFC Events. We'll be jetting down to Melbourne next weekend for our Feet, Balance, and Play workshop, as well as a natural running workshop, which will both be held at CrossFit Soul Rebel in Thornbury. Tickets are still available for both, and you can check out all the details in the Events tab on our website. We also have an upcoming workshop and seminar tour through Hobart, Adelaide and Perth, which will be from the end of May through the start of June. So stay tuned for announcements of the dates and locations for those. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Claire. Um, So we're steadily getting through basically all the pillars of health and the different aspects of our philosophy. And obviously food is such a major pillar of health that I'm very interested in and I'm a big lover of food as well, Um, but it's not my area of expertise per se. So I figured it'd be great to get someone on to chat who does know food inside out and Mm -hmm. couldn't think of a better person than you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Look, yeah, we all love food, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, look, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I thought we could just delve right in uh, and start with, I guess, a bit of a background and history um, of your journey with food. So I know, obviously, there'd be a personal journey and a professional journey, and I imagine that that would overlap a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, just where did your journey with food start? Yeah, no, you're right. And when people ask me where the food thing came from, it really is. It probably has three pillars, if you like. And um, the first one was just growing up in a, in a family who loved to cook. And, you know, my mom, my grandmother, you know, we always had, it was always fun. It was always that beautiful community sort of spirit around the, uh, the table. So there was always that, that aspect to it. And we always had home-cooked meals. And um, I had a grandfather who uh, had a veggie garden. So, you know, there was always that around me. Um, and then when I was a little bit, maybe a little bit older, probably six, seven, eight, there, I don't know who will actually know of this guy, but there used to be a guy on TV. It was an ex-Vietnam uh, veteran, uh, Les Hiddens, and he's known as the Bush Tucker Man. And um, oh. I've never watched TV in my life, but 6.30 every Friday night I used to be glued to watching this TV <laughs> show because he would go through the outback and he would teach people about Bush Tucker and food. And, you know, he used wow. to train the army, the, the army soldiers to do that. So I was fascinated from that aspect as well. And, um, yeah, it just became this natural evolution. And then as I got a little bit older, uh, I think my mum took me to a naturopath when I was maybe 10, a little bit later on. And, um, you know, it just sort of all came together and I started seeing that food could be used for other things, not just, you know, the pleasure and survival in the food, but actually for healing as well. So it's always been in me. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I wish I had the Bush Tucker man when I was growing up. <laughs> or maybe I, maybe I just missed him. I don't know how long he was, was on for, but... Yeah, look, he's still around. There's a there's a big um, oh. revival thing at the moment. Yeah, so it's I think there's a there's actually a program around it at the moment. But anyway, I'll link you oh, in. Cool. 
Yeah, yeah cool. link me in and maybe we can put it in the show notes as well for people listening. Yeah, um, for sure. And so what about then your sort of professional? So obviously you went to a naturopath when you were 10 yeah. um, and that would, that would have been your first experience with food as medicine. Yeah, yeah. look, um, from, a, from a health perspective, I had um, a few things going on as a child. I, had, um, I was born with my sort of functional, uh, my legs in a sort of funny position and for that reason I was in a lot of pain. Um, but I also had a lot of skin conditions as well. So there's a few things going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, Western medicine was quite limited in the way that it could help. Um, yeah. So the naturopath sort of was my mum's next point of call. And I got so much more relief from some of the things there. And I'm not saying that one's better than the other, but for me in particular, that uh, it worked. So that sort of opened up my line there. And then when I went back through work experience, um, maybe three years later, I went back to that same naturopath and she actually ended up employing me. So I've done it ever since, literally. Wow, full circle. (laughs) Yeah. So so from your experience with that naturopath, is that sort of what made you think, oh, I really want to go down a career path with food or naturopathy or down this line? Or did um, did you sort of go straight into that or...? Um, Very, very, very temporarily, like two-week temporarily, at the end of year 12, um, I actually started doing a forensic science degree Um, at one of the universities here and I can't remember what the linchpin on that was but literally I sort of came home and I thought this is ridiculous like I'm not even sure like I love I love that aspect of sort of investigating and and, you know going down that that route but at the same time I thought no if I'm going to be really happy doing you know whatever it is for the rest of my life I just want to do what I do naturally and I've always been it's always been food and it's always been sort of being outdoors and that sort of stuff as well so you know drawing on my experience and my work experience and my working sort of teenage years with the naturopath, it just became this natural evolution and never, yeah, I've never looked back. Yeah. And I imagine it'd be pretty, uh, quite rewarding, uh, having experienced that as a child and found a lot of benefit and then to be able yeah. to do the same thing with clients. Yeah, um, very much so. Very much so. It's, it's really, it's, it's a really strange thing when you sort of get literally the, the mirror of what happened to you, walk through the clinic as a little child and, you know, you actually get to say, I can fix this before it snowballs into what happened to me. So, you know, yeah. it's a really, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really rewarding thing. I love it. And I guess there's also the element of the forensic science in there as well. You know, I feel like a forensic investigator constantly. True. Yeah. yeah. I guess with all aspects of health, you do have to take that sort 100%. of investigative scientific approach of just... Yeah. Because we never, the human body is so complex, we never really know exactly what's going on and we can sort of take some pretty good educated guesses, but a lot of it just comes down to tinkering and playing with different variables. Um, yeah, exactly, and, exactly. And, and just and observe, observation. Yeah, and figuring out what yeah. works for the individual because there's, you know, obviously one person is going to respond differently to a certain dietary or, you know, supplement or anything like that compared to someone else in a different context. And, and I feel like yeah. the world of food is, is so opinionated in terms of people think, oh, it's, you got to do it this way or everyone should eat this way, or um, you got to have this X, Y, Z supplement and everything. But really when it comes down to it, it's all individual and yeah. a big thing yeah. would be personalization. Have you found that a lot in your own practice? Hugely, hugely. So 
Um, I guess that's the difference, and that's why I am constantly explaining in, in practice that the difference between, say, a, a Western modality where, you know, it is very um, symptom-based, so, you know, it's obviously very diagnostic, and, and the protocols or the treatment protocols are all wrapped around that symptom. If somebody, if I had 10 people come in with the same set of symptoms, or sorry, if I had 10 people come in with, say, endometriosis, for example, which is a set of symptoms, really, when you think about it, every one of those women could have potentially had it for different reasons, you know, so you really have to turn it around and go, right, let's look at you as an individual, let's get rid of the diagnosis and the names and just kind of go, right, where is it that we need to tap in? It's very patient-centred compared to the symptom model. Yeah. And I've found that especially, well, obviously in my own experiences with physiotherapy and the same thing where we get in university, we get taught a bunch of different diagnoses and conditions and how to manage that condition. And when you get out into the, into the real world, I suppose, then first of all, no one really presents exactly like a textbook um, expects them to present. And then second of all, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different well infinite different factors that would go on with that individual to create that specific set of musculoskeletal symptoms and sometimes it's more simple and sometimes it's a lot more complex obviously but you do have to really tailor it to the individual and I do love the the I guess analogies or the the similarities between food and movement in that sense of um, you know needing quantity quality variety and in certain context at certain times and so on and um yeah yeah, yeah absolutely it's, it's uh i, I like feel like my... too when it's what sorry sorry you go <laughs> Cla- no, classic I, say, I feel like too when it's um when it's very when it's patient-centered like that and tailored to the to the person you know i think you you get faster results but also i think it's a lot more um sounds like a cliche word but i feel like it's a lot more empowering too to the actual to the client because they actually mm. understand I get a chance to understand how it is they got down that path and what it is we need to do to reverse engineer it. It's not like it becomes, you know, it, it's a little bit more of a chance for them to get intimate with themselves and actually understand what their habits are doing and, yeah. you know, where it takes them. Yeah. And I, I really love that personalized, individualized client approach. And, and obviously that's very important when you are working with one-on-one with someone. But at the same time, what I've found in my own practice and and I guess with the work that I've been doing with the Foot Collective is that when you do take that bird's eye view on the population, you can see certain things that everyone, not everyone, but the majority of people are missing in terms of their movement health. And, you know, they, they might be trying these specific exercises and, and we, you know, you could call them supplemental exercises or supplemental movements and but they're still missing the bigger picture of their overall movement diet, so to speak, which we've talked about in in a previous podcast. And I guess that leads me into wondering what you feel are sort of the basics of food or the basics um, that most people are missing that even if they weren't getting individualized or personalized advice that everyone should be hitting these basics that would sort of cover, that would get them maybe 80%, 90% of the results. Yeah, I think great question. And, um, I think the thing with food is that, you know, well, I suppose it's the same as everything these days. It is so governed by marketing. Um, and the one thing I do want to say first is that, you know, for every, I, I have full respect for everybody's preferences for diet. Like, I, you know, I sort of take a step back from that. I don't have a personal preference 
across the board. But the one thing I will say is that I find with things like social media, the people, for example, who uh, it's just coming to mind, so this isn't um, the, the people who might be jumping up and down for paleo or for vegan mm. or for carnivore or whatever it is, I've got no bias. But if they're jumping up and down on social media saying it's working for me, it's working for me, I can pretty much guarantee you that there's going to be a handful of people in the back stalls who it doesn't work for. And, mm. you know, unfortunately they're the ones who won't stand up on social media and say these things because mm. intrinsically they just feel like they're failing, you know. So it's really, it, it starts to shape a real bias on social media and, you know, on some of these platforms because all you see is success. And so you think that, you know, you're, if you don't, if that doesn't fit you, then you're failing. And it's, it's pretty yeah. sad to see. But yeah. um, as for, you know, my general sort of ideas around food, um, I think the important thing is that the big thing that I say to everybody is eat as much whole food as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that sounds like an ideal and it's it can be a journey. So you don't have to go out and, you know, throw everything out tomorrow, which would be great. But at the same time, starting to incorporate more fresh foods um, across the board and eating a really wide variety of foods is the better way to do it. Because yeah. the other thing that I find that a lot of people do is we tend to, um, we're habitual. You know, you tend to do, if people do, say, for example, a weekly shop, they tend to buy the same thing, especially busy people. They'll buy the same thing because they're in and out and they know it. And yeah. that can start to generate um, deficiencies in itself. So, um, but as for as for sort of looking at the actual nutrition side of things, like I said, the first thing I always say is just try and eat as many whole foods as you possibly can. That'll probably get you about 80% of the way. Yeah. Um, Having really big dietary restrictions, so let's, you know, for example, vegan, um, I have no problem with that, but at the same time, you still need to just make sure that, you know, the things like the macros are covered and, you know, I think everyone these days is really aware of things like protein, the importance of your macros, your protein, your fat. Carbohydrates is fairly controversial these days, um, but I really think if you're going to live a long-term healthful life, then you really need to incorporate those things. and also have as many colours on your plate as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, so I know that's really basic, so I don't know how much more you want me to sort of go into that, but they're the things that I tend to say start there. Yeah, and I think those that even just the real food, the whole food thing is obviously very important. And what you mentioned about, obviously there's, you know, thousands and thousands of people jumping up and down on social media saying vegans the best vegans you know works for me and then there's thousands of people jumping up and down saying carnivore is the best and 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 everything works for me and like you said you don't have a particular bias as long as it is actually working for you but I think maybe where things can um and I, I always like to bring it back to a movement analogy, obviously, because that's how my brain works. But, you know, if, if someone identifies, say, as a yogi or like, yeah, I'm a yogi and, and yoga is awesome and I love it and it works for me. Um, but as soon as you start to identify with a certain, say, diet or movement uh, modality and you start to only do that and you see that as this is going to be your lifelong thing and and then 
you know, you, you sort of get into this rigid pattern where you do open yourself up to deficiencies. So a yogi might end up deficient in pulling strength or, you know, aerobic fitness or different things like this because they don't have that enough variability. But if they identify as only a yogi, then that sort of limits them from exploring other movement things. So if someone identifies as a vegan, like obviously there will be certain or there may be certain times in someone's life where they should be only eating plants and a you know a wide variety of raw plants, but then there might also be times in another person's life or even in that same person's life where they should be eating mostly animal foods for different reasons. And I think having that fluidity and that flexibility to be able to not identify with a certain yeah. um, diet or or movement or whatever, and to be able to really take a, a an analytical look at what is actually working for you and are you meeting your body's needs? Yeah, um, great call. I, think, I agree. Yeah. I think it's really important. One thing I try and teach people is, you know, the difference between extrinsic cues and intrinsic cues for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a bit like going back to your movement analogy. It's a bit like, you know, making sure that you're following your gym timetable or your training timetable, even if you're tired and depleted. You know, you're probably going to do more harm to your your adrenals and you know your body than you are good so um with respect to food i tend to like uh, i like to think everything in nature is cyclic so i tend to try and relate it to that and i feel like you know unless you're lucky enough to live on the equator which i know some of you do um you know, you do, you, we, we get that seasonal fluctuation and with that seasonal fluctuation, you always have higher or lower needs of certain nutrients. Now, some of them can be stored in the body, some of them can't, um, but even metabolically, you know, we tend to shift gears as that cycle sort of changes and the weather cycle sort of changes. Um, so, yeah, cueing into your, uh, sorry, your intrinsic cues and actually going, am I depleted? Um, do I need more nutrition from certain areas? that's probably the most important thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And so what what would be, like if you could have a top one, two or three intrinsic and extrinsic cues to look at for, for people listening, what yeah. would you recommend? Oh, by, by far and large, I would say the front runner would be fatigue. Um, yep. You know, energy levels and fatigue. And I just, I, I feel like, sorry, wow. I just had a really big wedge tail eagle just come straight up oh, wow. yeah there's a, there's a sign um, yeah. <laughs> um an omen, a good omen hopefully. Yeah. oh i hope my dog's not in the backyard um sorry the look, yeah energy definitely energy and i find that you know of course there's other factors with that you know obviously movement sleep emotional status all of that sort of stuff but if you're not um you know, if your energy is starting to fail or if it's starting to fluctuate or, sorry, drop, then, you know, there's a chance that that's, you know, in, in terms of nutrition, you may need to look at um, pump, bumping up, just for example, things like, you know, some of your, your nutrients, like your B vitamins or your protein levels even, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like on the other end of that spectrum, sleep, quality of sleep is actually quite often um, it's driven by things like blood sugar fluctuations or insulin resistance or things like that. So, you know, if your sleep is not as sound as as you'd like it to be, again, there's all of those other extrinsic factors like, you know, um, stress levels and that sort of stuff. But your food and your nutrients or your nutrition 
um, is definitely something that you need to make all of those, you know, wonderful serotonin, melatonin, everything in the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And also recovery, recovery from anything. Um, Sorry, my my head's just exploding. Now I'm like, okay, so what about your skin and your hair and all of that? (laughs) Sorry. Well, that would be, I guess that would be the extrinsic factors. So So intrinsically energy... Sleep and recovery. I think recovery. That, that, makes yeah. lots, that makes a lot of sense. Which, I mean, when you think about it, those three are probably, they're quite interlaced anyway. But even yeah. things like um, feeling the cold, oh, okay. you know, uh, metabolically, if you're not firing properly, then, you know, yes, again, it could be emotions, it could be sleep. You know, mm. this is why I love the full collective and the way that all of these things are brought together. Right. But, um, yeah, it could very much be food as well. You know, you might be lacking mm. certain nutrients in terms of um, just that vitality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think those, those three things I've certainly noticed in myself, especially energy and sleep. Um, and where, when I am eating really well and, and obviously moving and sleeping and, and all the other pillars. Um, but I, I just have this overwhelming energy, like I'm on three cups of coffee, you know, all day, except without any jitters, just super clear, like some weird energy drugs, but it's just, um, you know, and this is when I'm not having coffee or only having like, you know, very, very limited amount yeah. of caffeine. Um, yeah. and I, and you really feel this like, Whoa, this is what energy feels like. This is what good energy feels like. And then conversely, I'll, I'll notice when, you know, if I have been having a few too many treats or, um, uh, like just not eating the, the level of quality food that I would like, then I will notice that I don't get that sort of all day energy. And I think an issue, I, I guess that's, that's been really good for me to experience both ends of that spectrum because I'll know now, okay, well, this is how I sort of should quote unquote should be feeling or want to be feeling. And now I can compare how I am feeling to that. Although I think a lot of people, probably don't know how good or how energetic they could really be feeling. And so that do you think some people's sort of baseline for yeah. their energy is, is a lot lower than it should be. And so they don't actually notice that they're really low energy. They just think that's normal for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things I feel like, yeah, you're right. A lot of people sort of get, you know, they fall into a lane and that just, that just becomes their life. Um, in particular, I find that with women. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, um, you know, I know that men go through this as well, but I find it in particular with mums. And, you know, I think it comes from, a, it's a point of relativity. So if you haven't had any sleep because you've had young children and stuff like that in the house, you know, and all of a sudden you then go and get three or four hours solid sleep because baby's finally sleeping through, you feel like Wonder Woman. And that's your mm-hmm. new norm, you know. But, the other thing that people are doing, you know, once they're in that lane and it becomes normal, they're then propping themselves up with those stimulants, with caffeine, with sugar, with whatever it is. And you're right, there's this huge difference between that buzz of a stimulant and that real clean sort of, you know, mm-hmm. really good quality energy. Um, and the difference, obviously, is you don't crash down from one of them. But people yeah. just people don't understand the difference, you know, because they yeah. necessarily haven't necessarily let themselves be I've found that a lot because, well, when, so if I, I, I'm particularly sensitive to caffeine, which is why I do try to limit it, but I'll I'll notice if I'm 
going down a not a spiral but like it, it can become quite a negative cycle where it's like oh i'm not feeling as energetic as i would like maybe because i haven't haven't slept as well as i'd like and so i have maybe an extra coffee and then that sort of you know simulates what the energy i want is but not quite there um yeah. and then but having that extra coffee means my sleep is disrupted for that night because i'm extra sensitive to caffeine and then the next day I wake up even worse and then I'm more likely to want that second coffee. And then, yeah, it becomes that spiral. And I'll also notice if I'm underslept and over-caffeinated, then I'm reaching for more higher, you know, high-carb sugary foods and wanting chocolate, more snacks. Chocolate and, and in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, you know, it's it's just very interesting to witness that in myself, even though I'm someone who's been across these healthy habits for a long time you know, it's very, not very easy, but it's very possible to fall into that. And then it's a matter of catching yourself and figuring out where you can break that cycle or what, you know, what's the linchpin that you can break that cycle with. And then you can bring yourself back into a more positive loop. Yeah, um, you're right. And that is probably one of the most common loops that, you know, that the first thing you have to deal with in, 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 my line of work in clinic is is usually that because mm-hmm. you sort of people end up on that mouse wheel but then because they're on that mouse wheel they've, they, they become they don't realize how depleted they are because they're propped up on stimulants the whole time mm-hmm. and so in order to actually get into that rather than trying to put something in over the top and mask the symptoms you know and and, and medicate it if you like you really have to try and get in there and go no, no no let's just take all of that away and see what the body's actually doing because then you have to almost start the conversation with yourself and go, how tired are you really? Like, mm. do we need to sort of get rid of the stimulants or, you know, you probably do need a lot more sleep when you'd be surprised how many people come in and sort of go, no, 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 I'm fine. I've got all the energy in the world. And you can see that they're a nervous wreck um, because, or, or they've developed pain, fibromyalgia, all of these different mm. things because they're just in this huge nervous system loop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's sort of, once you, once you get a taste of that positive loop where, you know, where for me, a lot of it does come down to making sure my cap, making sure my sleep is good. And part of that is like limiting, severely limiting caffeine. Um, and then once that's going well, I just really don't find I crave any, I I only want healthy food that I know will make me feel good. And I don't crave the the stuff that then makes me more and so on. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. Exactly that energy is such a, a really big thing. And, and a lot of it just comes down to really analyzing. Like if I, I think maybe for people to reference is that if you are eating really well, and if you do have most of these pillars of health um, on, you know, you're on top of it, then you should really have that all day clean energy with, without needing um, stimulants. And you should be waking up feeling refreshed without, feeling like you need coffee basically that's we talked about that in the sleep podcast um uh, last week and that's sort of my measure of whether or not i'm sleeping well enough but really it's a measure of how your overall health and vitality is is whether you have you wake up feeling refreshed like you've had enough sleep and you have all the energy and without sort of big slumps and um and you get to sleep fine that night do you think that would, would that be a fair yeah, well, sort of, uh, yeah. I guess, maybe yeah, not a, yeah, I guess a target? Definitely. It's not necessarily realistic for everyone to get that immediately, but something to work towards. I feel like um, a couple of tips with respect to 
sort of trying to break that cycle is um, making sure that you're eating enough dietary fat through the day because, mm. you know, that's where we build our adrenal hormones from. And it also, you know, it, it actually stops. Well, it slows our um, metabolism, not metabolism, digestion down a little bit um, mm. and it stops those insulin, you know, and blood sugar fluctuations. Um, but the other thing I always try and get people or encourage people to go towards is eating, including more magnesium, whether it's foods or, or supplements if you want to, but foods into your diet. Because if, you know, magnesium really gives you, it's, I don't know if you ever did chemistry at school, but magnesium, like it, 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 when it hits water, it's just, you know, it's combustible basically. It's, you get that energy. It's, and that's pretty much what magnesium does in the body as well. Yes, it relaxes things, et cetera, et cetera. But it actually helps, you know, with nerves and all sorts of stuff as well. So what by putting magnesium foods into the diet and a bit more fat and then trying to get off the, the, the caffeine wheel, yeah, giving yourself better quality sleep is the number one thing there because it's not so much about trying to keep you in the lane that you want to stay in or that you think you want to stay in. It's about replenishing you properly at the, at the bottom part of that daily cycle so that you do wake up into that sort of that cleaner energy, if you want to call it that, you know, into that better or more refreshed day. Yeah. Um, the other thing that when I say magnesium foods, I always try and maybe say to people, this is probably why we um, crave chocolate and, and cacao and that sort of stuff as well, because it is particularly high in magnesium. Mm. So you're sort of going for that sugar and that, that stimulant hit that, Intrinsically, I think our body's also looking for, you know, what's what caffeine will also deplete your body of magnesium. So it's sort of like if you try and taper down one and increase the other, it does actually help. All right. So I'll, uh, I should be swapping a, a morning coffee for a morning cacao. Yeah, definitely. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm actually I'm about to go into a I do really like my coffee. I know that I sleep better with without any and I know that I can get away with one a day. Um, but I'm going to have a break cause I've sort of, it's sort of been creeping back in a little too much lately. And so I'm going to have a week off. Um, and I was like, Oh, what can I replace it with? Cause I love that hot drink in the morning, especially it's getting colder. I mean, Brisbane cold isn't very cold but, um, <laughs> for us. It's getting colder up here. Yeah. And, um, I love that sort of ritual of a hot drink in the morning. So a, a cacao might, would probably be a really good option there. Hey, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Magnesium. Definitely. Sweet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's look. People, I just don't think people realise that caffeine is a drug, you know, yeah. and it is the yeah, most socially true. accepted drug in in the world, you know. And, and people are just being, lining up. Well, down here in Melbourne, you know, it's like it's it's coffee mecca. It's coffee, you yeah. know, coffee, coffee capital, and um, it's just the norm. It's if you can try and detach the the actual social aspect of that, which usually is what gets people going. Uh, it's the ritual, as you've just said. It's that. You know, it's the ritual of morning or it's the ritual of going and catching up with someone. It's, it's a coffee. Um, mm. If you can try and even stick to the ritual, so, you know, you're not freaking your nervous system out too much, but actually just replace what it is that you put into your mouth, then, you know, give it a month and you'll find that you, you don't crave it anymore. Yeah, yeah. It, it is always the way where, and I've found it again and again in my life, where you think, oh, I couldn't possibly go without that X, you know, couldn't possibly go without X, coffee, yeah. you know, yeah. cheese, whatever it is. And then you spend a month without it and you're like, oh, I, I really don't miss it that much. Um, yeah. And, you know, Look, it might be a, nice to amazing. have here and there, but yeah. You it's amazing really what these the things can do when they, when they bind into, you know, into those receptors, you know, mm, <laughs> hence yeah. the word drug. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so that's the, um, I guess the, the in intrinsic feelings of what you can get um, to to have a, a measure of what your nutrition and food quality is like. Um, and what about the extrinsic factors that you, you mentioned briefly before? So yeah, things like I mean. The first thing that, you know, the quality of people's skin, and I mean, don't get me wrong, there's other factors in that as well, like there is with all of it. But things like skin, um, even things like your, your, I was going to say metabolism, but even to a point, body composition, you know. Um, I don't, I'm not, I'm trying really hard not to sound like I'm straight down the line here with, with because, you know, body diversity is, is a thing and it, it's, it should be a thing. Um but at the same time, I tend to find people who go for a whole food type diet and, and vary it and just have a, a, a more natural style diet, they often don't have issues with body composition. You know, they don't mm. have issues with, with weight or with skin or with things like that because, you know, every, everything that they actually put in their mouth is, is sort of pointing the needle towards a, a positive change as opposed to or healing, if you like, or, or good composition as opposed to... Yeah, it, it, it becomes very hard to overeat um, natural mm. foods or whole foods. Mm. Very hard sure. <laughs> because yep. of you know the fat, not the fat content, but more so the fiber content and things like that. It just it fills us up. Yeah, yeah. You just don't find that you need as much. I know. I know for sure. For me, I, I was gonna say this before as well with the like you were saying with the fat um, throughout the day. But I, I found as as soon as I have some kind of sugary or high very high carb thing during the day then I'll just be wanting more throughout the day like my brain is just sort of searching for it whereas if I don't have it and I fill up more on fat and then I have more of like the carby sort of sweet potato you know rice things like that at night then I'm sort of that's that's good for me I'm done for the day and I feel uh, like satisfied that I've had some carbs that you know because carbs are great in in certain contexts um especially if you're moving a lot and and doing a lot of strength training and things like that then they can be uh, particularly helpful um and i think from from my understanding they it can also help with sleep and that's one of the problems with low carb diets is you you um can you can you explain a bit about that actually so there's a couple of um avenues with that um the first one is that it's um the, the sweet potato and things like that, so the more complex. Before I say that, I want to be clear that we're not talking about, you know, breads and, and, and um, pastas and refined carbohydrates. Sleep, yeah. uh, the things, the carbohydrate forms that actually help uh, or are conducive to good, good sleep are the more complex carbohydrates. So mm-hmm. fruits, root vegetables, um, you know, whole grains and things like that. So there's a couple of things. The first one is that, they contain a lot of what we call prebiotic fiber. So they literally help to feed our gut flora. And that, um, you know, that's pretty much where we make our serotonin, which is then moved up to the brain and um, it's then converted to melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. Mm. So, you know, carbohydrates do feed and fuel our gut flora to make all of those really good, you know, nutrients. And there's also in the complex carbohydrate foods, there's also the B vitamins and the bits and pieces that you actually need to make some of those uh, neuroendocrines. The other side to that is that the slow release carbohydrates actually helps to modulate your cortisol production. So it actually reduces your cortisol production. 
and you need obviously that as the day goes on 6am it should be peaking and then it starts to drop off as you go through the day now if you had um if you had low carbohydrate diet um then that actually it's it's more conducive to spiking cortisol Okay, so you don't actually get that that drop off at, at night. So it can actually, and it's got to do with insulin. It, it insulin and cortisol sort of have a you know a very close relationship. So if you're um, it, on the flip side of things, if you're having refined carbohydrates, then that can spike you know your sugars and you can get that that insulin sort of effect, and that can mess with our sleep. But on the other side of it, um, yeah you don't get that drop off or you don't get that suppression of cortisol if you're not having complex carbohydrates. So okay. when I work with people, I do exactly what you're talking about most of the time, depending on the person, obviously, but generally speaking, I always do say, you know, um, more protein and stuff like that, all the bigger meals, you know, probably in the morning. Um, and then if you're going to have complex carbohydrates, usually the timing is good at night time to do that for that reason it just helps to settle the nervous system down from from a few angles yeah cool and i, I realized i just segued pretty hard from the uh body composition right. to that but i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna sort of tie it all back in um so something that i've come across in i guess through my readings and research and some of the courses i've done is the concept that different people with um different body types like say mesomorph endomorph ectomorph will do better with um, you know certain types say ectomorphs will do better with more higher carb and certain types like endomorph will do better with lower carbs in general and, and obviously there'll be a lot of personalization within each of that have you found that in your practice or have you found um, um, I guess that that ties in with the body composition too because an endomorph can't really hope to be looking like an ectomorph but they a certain body composition for that body type like you should be healthy for your type rather than healthy yeah. for you know just skinny or healthy for just muscular or whatever yeah yeah um i'm going to be really honest and say in terms of the ecto meso and you know endomorph i actually haven't worked with that for a lot of years um okay. i know i'm well i'm well aware of them um i'm just trying to actually join the dots because for myself when i work in practice if i've got somebody who comes in who's say a classic endomorph or I'm even looking more at where they're distributing. Um, so if you've got, it's a good example. If you've got the classic pear-shaped woman who you know is is sort of larger in the in the thighs and the in the you know in the bum and that sort of stuff, then um, you know I personally tend to find that that's more to do with liver uh, and hormonal hormonally driven things. So that's when I start to look more at. Um, you know, manipulating the diet and just making sure that things like the, yeah, as I said, the hormones are balanced and then um, the liver and that sort of stuff are actually functioning properly. Um, I'm just trying to tie that in with an actual endomorph. In terms of macros, um, I'm not even sure I can answer that, to be honest. Yeah, no, I don't think right. I could. Yeah, no, but when you say eating right for your type, I mean, yeah, obviously that's so important and, if you've got somebody who actually walks in, you know, with a certain body shape, there is a whole lot of education around that. You, you can't necessarily, you know, it, it, it's almost pushing against, well, it is pushing against nature to a point to be able to sort of go, you know, that's not necessarily realistic for you. That's, that's probably going to push you into an unhealthy space, you know, to try yeah. and do that. And eating right for your type is very much a healthy thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
And um, I guess, so that, that would be the extrinsic factors or the external factors that you can look for is body composition, skin health. Obviously, if you're proper, um, coming up with certain skin conditions or acne or things like that. And um, I think you mentioned hair health as well. Um, are there any other extrinsic factors that you'd recommend looking at? Mm, good question. Um, yeah, so look, I think skin's a really big one. Um, and so obviously, and your nails being an extension of your skin. So your fingernails can actually often tell you things like mineral, mineral deficiencies and signs. Mm. Um, you know, there is, um, like even just, I suppose, the quality of, of, of these types of things. Um, and when I say, sorry, when I say these types of things, if you've got, for example, you know, the, the vertical ridges in your nails, for example, um, yep. it's pretty well documented that, you know, there's some digestive, potential digestive issues there and, and some, I'm going to use the word mineral deficiencies, um, but quite often it's not that they're not eating it, it's just that they're not absorbing it. It's got more to do with, you know, what's going on down here as opposed to, you can eat the most perfect diet in the world, it doesn't mean you're absorbing it. Mm. Um, so nails, skin, um, in, in Chinese medicine, they obviously, they use things like the colour of your tongue or um, also your gums. So really, I, I think any of these sort of physical expressions, um, you know, most of us can look at somebody and go, yeah, you're really unhealthy or, wow, you know, something's not right there. You know, most of us yeah. can cue, cue that in, if you know what I mean. And conversely, um, you can really tell if someone's vibrantly healthy. Hey. Exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, you know, that whole phrase, you are what you eat, you know, well, you are what you eat and what you do. So, you know, yes. you just can't go past it. Yeah. And and you hinted at a couple things there where you said you could be eating the perfect diet um, in the world, but if depending on whether or not you're absorbing it, then that will change a lot as to what, how much, how healthy you are and, and what you yeah. get from that diet. Um, and so I guess that comes into the whole concept of, digestion and yes you could you know you might be eating the best foods but if you're in a well i'll just yeah let's chat about digestion um and yeah how, sure, you know, sure, stress sure. might affect digestion or and and all hugely, of that well, what factors hugely. Would, so would yeah. Affect it? yeah so um you know the number one thing that i think affects people's digestion is definitely it's cortisol it's so cortisol being your stress hormone and, you know, so you, when you dive into things like chronic stress, I mean, stress is, can be really healthy in, in short, short snippets, you know, we've got this beautiful stress response for a reason. Um, but when it starts to become chronic or long-term, um, then that's when you've got a problem. And, you know, to, to try and simplify it, basically, if, if you're in fight or flight all of the time, you're nervous system, sorry, your sympathetic nervous system will shunt all of the blood and everything into everything you need in an emergency, which is obviously, you know, heart rate, muscles, everything that you're getting poised to, to run or fight or whatever it is. And the, the two things that tend to go out the window when you're in that chronic state are your digestion and your mm. hormones, so like your reproductive hormones. But mm. the digestion, you know, chronic stress is a huge one for that. And... Um, Whenever I'm working with anybody who has got digestive issues and whether it's, you know, from, well, this week I'm dealing with colitis or IBS quite a lot. And the first thing I always do is look at their stress response because you can do whatever you want to do to the gut or manipulate the diet. But if you've got this 
waterfall of stress and you know that sort of stuff going on then you're never really going to get over the line yeah um yeah and uh, even things like food sensitivities and allergies and things like that quite often will come down to the stress response you know i think it's it's really only coming out now how important a factor that is that you know within the rest you know in terms of allergies or or anything else you have to get the nervous system on 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 deck first and then you get the digestive system on deck yeah, and we, we explored stress um, fairly deeply, I think it was a couple of episodes ago, and, and we and talked about how, you know, it is it is so closely linked with um, all of these different issues, the chronic stress, um, but that <clears throat> it gets a bad rap because, we you know, stress can be very, very helpful in, in the right yeah. context. Um, yeah. But we, we talked about, yeah, when your stress response is activated, it's fight or flight which is sympathetic nervous system which you've just mentioned and which is literally the opposite of rest and digest which is the parasympathetic nervous system and so what kind of obviously in some cases uh, removing a stressful um, stimulus I suppose is needed or you know getting out of a, a relation a toxic relationship or a toxic workplace or something like that that is stressing you out but what kind of yeah um strategies have you found most helpful with clients for improving a stress response or some kind of strategies that you would uh, use with clients around their eating to improve their digestion um, from a stress point of view? Yeah, good question. Um, So I guess purely from the stress point of view, I mean, it really depends on the person and what they're going to find enjoyable because it has to be, you don't want it to be work for them because again that's just pretending and it's going to create that stress response um but i think i think um initially good old breath work or good old you know just slowing down where you can and and what like what we were saying before there's so many people that get that get caught up in the fast lane and they just don't realize it they don't realize how on they are until you educate them to try and pull out those, you know, those stimulants or find the linchpin there and, yeah, and actually get them back down to base. So in terms of doing that, as I said, breath work, literally slowing down, slowing down when you're eating and actually making time for a meal or time to eat rather than eating, um, say, on the go while you're on the computer or while you're doing something else. Because, you know, you're going to have that background sort of generation of cortisol and stress and, you know, multitasking, it, it activates that. Mm. So being mindful and just chewing a little bit more slowly and, you know, good old chewing is the start of our digestion and it's really underrated but it works really well, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, just in terms of breaking things down. But moving sort of down into the stomach, you know, making sure that um, – from a digestive point of view if you're somebody who is chronically stressed and you can't necessarily remove the extrinsic you know the stressors at the time then slowing down making time for your meal and then maybe considering things like um you know digestives we would call them digestives so good old um apple cider vinegar you know a bit Mm -hmm. of water or something like that um or even you know there are some like just herbal teas or just digestive type things like for example ginger tea or a bit of lemon in water, or anything that's just going to start that, um, or two things, it will help to start the digestive process. But if you have that before your meals, it can actually help to add, I suppose, to the stomach acid a little bit. 
and um, especially the apple cider vinegar will do that will help to add to the stomach acid and help to break some of that food down so it's almost propping up your digestive system while you're in that sort of fight or flight so that from that digestive point of view that's that's a really helpful thing to do um, but from the stress point of view, yeah, obviously removing the extrinsic things is, is the best thing you can do. But if you can't do that, then it's more about finding ways to slow down. Um, yeah. even, even putting your favourite song on, going for a drive or dancing around your house, you know, just a way to, not while you're eating, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just you need ways to get that, that stress response down. You know, it doesn't have to be at the time that you're eating, I'm just saying in general. Because if you can vent yeah. or if you can get that down, then, you know, you're going to end up in a better place metabolically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the the chewing thing has been a big one for me. I always <laughs> sort of, for some reason, I've had this tendency to eat really fast. And I think part of it is because I grew up in a big family and we'd be sort of eating <laughs> our meals quickly so that we could get the seconds before the others or something. Um, and anyway, <laughs> like but my, yeah. <laughs> And my mum, my mum's the same. She eats, she tends to eat fast, but my dad's like the opposite. He eats so slowly and he's always said like, savor the flavor. And he sort of really tried to drill that into us. And I think at, when I was young, I didn't really listen very much, but, um, you know, over the past few years, years I've been trying a lot more to focus on slower, more mindful eating and, and actually chewing and tasting my food properly. And, I think that that plays a few roles. Like you said, one, it can help sort of activate that more parasympathetic rest and digest um, process. Um, mm. Two, it obviously is the the start of digestion. And I know that you do break down a lot of carbohydrates with certain enzymes in the saliva and obviously literally the physical act of chewing your food, um, which is also very good for your jaw, obviously, and, and all of these other things. Um but also just tasting your food more closely, I think, is a could be a really big key for a lot of people and has been for me when you actually pay attention to what your food tastes like, you can tell whether you're eating good quality or not good quality food. Um, you just get this intuitive sense of like, mm, yeah, that tastes absolutely. really good and I, I want to eat more of that versus <laughs> if you're eating, it's a lot easier to just wolf down um, say a, a really a chocolate bar or something like that because partly because it's you know high sugar and you're going oh your brain's going yes this is you know really good high sugar um, but also because if you really taste if depending on the chocolate bar maybe that's not the best example but if you're eating like low quality food like a, a I don't know like a, a Big Mac or something like that and you really chew it and you're like this doesn't taste actually that good like it's sort of superficially maybe tastes good but when you actually taste it you can sort of see why it's cheap and, um, you know, and it's, you know, quote unquote unhealthy. Yeah. 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 You're right. And uh, I think that that whole mindfulness, I actually, as much as I find that word strange, I think it's so important with, you know, across the board, if you can, we we seem to not prioritize slowing down enough. And Mm. then at the expense of that, we, you know, we miss all of these, you know, cues that we've got, as you just said, with the food, with anything, and just and slowing down enough. Um, I mean, that in itself is going to help the nervous system as well, isn't it? And then, mm. yeah, as you say, flip it back into rest and digest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, it's um, and the 
what you said about the, the, the Big Mac and the or oh, well, any of that sort of food, the problem is these days, you know, these people spend millions of dollars, you know, finding, you know, the right marketing and everything that does set the brain on fire, you know, it's mm-hmm. in terms of I want that, I need it, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. its advertising, its packaging, its colouring, but even the flavourings and the additives and things like that. Um, and it is if somebody's sort of wanting to make the switch from that over to whole foods, admittedly, I think it can be a hard process because they don't, you know, all their taste buds are, are registering is that the volume turned up on flavours that aren't even real. Um, yeah. and, and what I try and say to people is hang in there if you can for I think it's two, two to two and a half weeks. Around about you'll have a cycle where your ta- your um, taste buds actually renew themselves. So if you can sit tight for a couple of weeks, you'll actually start to feel and, and taste foods differently yeah that that's a really good point actually and i suppose i've been i've been out of that i I mean my my i've always sort of my parents are always focused on giving us a lot of whole foods and everything so i've been very fortunate in that respect but i can understand how your taste buds get a certain baseline of how much flavor or how much sweetness or how much um you know xyz they expect to receive and they don't receive that from real food or whole food and um i think yeah that baseline is something i think in one sense it's you have to get used to a new baseline of that's things all things aren't that sweet but in another sense i think people maybe underestimate how good delicious healthy uh, how delicious healthy food can taste when you cook it and prepare it in the right way and when you use the right mixtures of spices and seasoning and and various things and I think that's probably a a big thing missing these days in in this society is a lot of people are really out of touch with just how to cook or how to prepare their own food so that they can have pride and really because I when I eat my meals now I'm like geez that's delicious like but it's you know it's not the sort of big macky overwhelming like oh it's like mm, that tastes really nice and yeah. I know that it's quality food yeah well it's interesting that, yeah what you're saying about you know the difference between the two and the home-cooked meals like and I actually brought this up I think it was last week what happens when you actually start to prepare your own food and, um, and, and even better if you can grow it, um, you know, mm. the, the same little reward centre that flies off when you, you know, get that hit of sugar or MSG or whatever it is, um, that same thing can be replicated in a sense of achievement when you've actually, you know, prepared a really delicious meal. Um, mm. You know, it sort of, it, it reframes it. If you can keep at that and sort of, try that, you know, as I said, for a couple of weeks, um, you'll probably start to, it, it may not feel like the same sense of reward to start with, but the bridge is definitely there. And if you can do that for long enough on, on repeat, then your brain starts to recognise that sense of reward as well. And mm-hmm. that one, it's a bit like the stimulants versus the clean energy. That reward of actually um, doing things yourself and actually doing it in a healthful way, plus all of the good nutrients that's in that food, you're only going to, you'll get to a point where that stuff over there becomes so obsolete and it's just not even mm. appealing anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a much deeper and more sustainable reward yeah. Uh, process. And yeah, it really does get you coming back for more. And I've, I've found especially 
cooking for other people or sharing my cooking with other people is another layer on top of that when you when you're feeling confident to you know you've learned some really good recipes and you're feeling pretty good with how you can you know recreate them consistently and then you're like oh cool now I get to cook for this person or these people and they go oh this is yummy you know and then you get that extra obviously you're connecting with your community your family your friends but you also get this extra layer of like oh they're enjoying the food that I cooked and so it it is um, yeah it's it's so multifaceted isn't it like it's because also you know moving into things like you know that reward and that and mental health as well um you're never going to get the nutrients from the Big Mac and that sort of stuff that you need as pretty much the foundation of everything that makes you feel good eventually, yeah. you know. Yes, it's a vicious, you know, stimulant cycle, but, it, you know, as I said, it's a mouse wheel of sort of, it's like the caffeine, you know. It's just not the same. When you actually experience that decent, you know, the real nutrition and the real sort of, it's so multifaceted with how it gives brings positive gains to your health, as you say, mm. with the community, with the, actual nutrition that's doing something for you um but also that sense of reward and just you know everything else that goes with it plus delicious food i mean let's face it we all love food we all love food it's (laughs) but you're right it is it is very multifaceted and and you know you could get so deep into the weeds about all of everything but when it comes down to it it's it is that simple act of preparing and cooking your own food where possible and sharing with others is such yeah. a, just a great way to, to have food. And I, I, um, my family has this tradition, my ex- sort of immediate family and my extended family and some family friends, uh, which we call family dinner, which is every Thursday night we get together, whoever's available really, obviously not everyone comes every week, but there's enough of a contingency that, um, you know, every Thursday night, we come together and eat, like sort of each household, I suppose, cooks a meal and brings it um, with a certain theme each week. So last night was Moroccan and, um, you know, the night, the weekend, week before was, oh, I can't remember, but, you know, you have Vietnamese or Japanese or Italian or whatever. And it sort of force, force or encourages you to explore cooking with different cuisines and trying different recipes and also sharing a lot of different people's food at once and saying, oh, that's yum. And and then you get all the, the chats. And what we've noticed as well is that we, people that you usually wouldn't see otherwise, then you get to see them every week. Like, or you, maybe you would see them every couple of months and now you get to see them every week. Or maybe, um, you know, some people don't come every week, so you get to see them every fortnight. But um it's just such a such a cool tradition that we've sort of figured out and I'm I I would really encourage um anyone listening to see if anyone in their community or in their family or in their friendship circle to set a weekly or it could wouldn't have to be weekly but weekly or fortnightly or monthly get together where you all cook for each other um and it gives you that motivation even when you're not having those family dinners to explore different um recipes and think oh maybe i'll take this to the next family dinner or the the next monthly gathering or something like that that's Um, such a great idea i love that yeah yeah i think and i think to be honest if when you start to do that and you start to use you know um especially if you start using things like spices and herbs and things like that that you maybe a little bit of afraid of or it was unknown to you then 
to be honest, that's all you really need when it comes to food is medicine, you know, or that mm. you've just completely encompassed everything that food can be medicine toward. And, mm. you know, um, eating diversely like that and going across all of these different countries and cuisines, you know, you're going to get the variety, but also so many of those beautiful you know, international dishes and things like that. I mean, how many spices and herbs and things like that don't we <laughs> eat here in Australia, like as a, as a Western culture? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, that my mouth is actually watering right now. That sounds amazing. Um yeah. and look, it's, I think um, sorry, I th- no, no, sorry. I, what I was gonna say is I I think what I find in clinic um is that people are just afraid of food these days because mm-hmm. they hear all of these ideals or fad diets or the latest research that was keyhole research and what I mean by that, you know, they might have looked at one parameter on something and then decided certain food or food group was wrong or, or unhealthy for you, um, but they didn't take into, you know, because it's obviously a very singular sort of style study, they didn't take into account all of these other things. But food can be so simple. Like, and the more that I've been doing this in clinic for 20 years and I sort of arrived at a point maybe 10 years ago where I thought, you know what, like therapeutically there's a few things that I can do to help people, but the baseline is just so simple. You know, it's eat eat these whole foods, eat diversely um, and enjoy your food. Don't be afraid of it and get rid of the marketing. That's, you know, if, if, it, if anyone can take anything home from that, you know, it's really just just keep it simple and don't ever think what you're eating. Mm, yeah yeah in my 20 years of experience working with nutrition that's my best advice don't overthink it (laughs) yeah because it and actually if we can touch on that because it's almost that nocebo effect of food where once you've got this belief that a uh, nocebo or placebo um where once you've got this belief that a food is bad and then you have it and now you're this guilty, naughty person who had that yeah. bad food. And then that that itself, whether it's through a stress response or something else, that would mean that food would have a worse effect on your body, I would imagine. Or so it, would, um, it would influence how you process that food if you believed it was bad and believed that you were guilty for eating it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think you know it. You know, you, you do obviously trigger a stress response and I think, um, it, 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 there's a stress response on both sides of that because there's usually that anxiety that leads up towards it because it's, it's, it'll be there for some reason. Usually it's an emotional reason. But we, you know, that's a whole other ballgame. But when you've actually eaten that food, then you've just generated a complete secondary and a, probably a worse, you know, as you say, that guilt and that stress response there as well. Um, Quite often with women in particular, you tend to find that that then triggers them to go and feel like they have to go and do another workout or something. You know, Mm. there's that compensation sort of scheme that they think that they have to work towards. And, um, yeah, the first thing I always say to people when they're sort of in that loop is you've just got to forgive yourself. You know, you need to be more flexible with this and don't focus on that thing. You know, let's just work on the rest of it. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we need to. The more you focus on that one, that one thing, you're fixating, you know, you're never going to get rid of that stress response. You're never going to mm-hmm. get rid of that. Um, and, yeah, you're right. It, it does. It completely affects your digestion. Um, you know, everything shuts down. <laughs> yeah. And ironically, the, you know, people, the people who are most um, strict and anal with what they eat and making sure that they don't eat anything else and, and everything, ironically i imagine that 
the stress of maintaining that diet and and the stress of when you inevitably slip off actually has a worse effect than if you were just you know ate mostly good and and mostly felt really good and then you know occasionally just guilt-free just had you know a chocolate bar or or whatever and had that thing and and just owned it and was like yep I had it I felt like it you know maybe it made me feel not so great for the afternoon but I really felt like it and that's okay or oh I didn't feel good that afternoon next time I won't have it or whatever but it's not about being a good or bad person or that food being good or bad it's just um yeah that's right yeah it's It's like it's like what you said initially about like there's that there's a nutrition aspect of things and then there's I hate to say it it's almost a religion to to certain things you know and if Mm. people lock on to certain dietary parameters or ideals and whether it's you know they believe it's right for them or whether somebody else believes it's right for them yeah it's it's a pretty slippery slope once you once you get into that I find you know to have that flexibility um is definitely the key to health because you know I'm generalizing but um majority of the people who are so rigid with their health if it's not for say um athletic reasons or performance reasons or like you know bodybuilding whatever it is um that that's obviously a different ball game but mm. if you're if you're being complete the, the most unhealthy people that i meet in clinic are usually the ones who walk in and go i don't know what what i'm doing wrong i've got the most perfect diet in the world yeah. you know and they stick to it and they're so rigid and you just kind of go well, okay let's work on your stress response <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah i i mean when i when i first started listening to a lot of podcasts about um, nutrition and food and understanding that it was actually a thing. And that's actually how I got into the barefoot stuff um, long before I found out about the Foot Collective or long before, I guess, the Foot Collective was a thing. I heard about sort of ancestral nutrition and then that took me down the path of ancestral movement and therefore barefoot, you know, lifestyle concepts. Um, And yeah, I I was... I mean, I was not never to the point of like measuring out all my food and everything, but I would, I was of that mindset of like, this food is good. This food is bad. And, you know, I, I really, I can only eat this food, but I would inevitably binge really on the food that I thought was bad. Um, and then yeah. over time, I guess over time, what I realized was that, especially if you are taking a, a broader look at all of these pillars of health, like your sleep and movement and stress um, and the way you interact with your community, then you do, if you're doing quite well overall with all of those things, you do have a really big buffer for food and the, the human body is so resilient. And I just, I've just come to this more, much more relaxed realization that I can enjoy you know, these sort of naughty, quote unquote, naughty treat foods, or I can avoid, enjoy these treat foods here and there, um, especially if all those other things are on point, or at least close to on point. Whereas I think, um, because modern society, in general, encourages all of those pillars of health to be pretty weak, then people have a lot less of that buffer as well. Um, And so if they do slip up on their sleep or if they do have you know a certain food then they maybe can tend to get knocked around a bit more than if they had a a good foundation of all those pillars yeah yeah definitely um you're absolutely right yeah that that the balance 
again, it's probably, it's not something I ever want people to obsess over, but having that balance is so important, you know, and um, if I, if I have somebody come in just as an example, who is completely locked on to what they're eating, because obviously that's why they're coming to see me. They want help with their food. Um, if, if they are that rigid, then I will honestly say to them, I don't care what you eat for the next week. I just want you to get out of your head and get into your body a bit more. I want you to go, you know, I want you to either go and train or go and do some deep breathing or just do something and forget what you're eating for a week. And when they come back, they're usually a different person, you know, um, because you just need to like, it's, you can't focus on one of those things too, too heavily with, at, without having a detriment, you know, to the others. Mm. if that makes sense it's it's yeah. just yeah you're right um and making sure i mean if you sleep correctly or if you're what's it, it's all connected obviously if you're well rested if you're if you're well rested um this is why i love the full collective by the way you know i just love i love that you know it's coming from all of these angles it excites me um me too. you know <laughs> if, you, if you're um if you're well rested, then you are a lot less likely to want the caffeine, the stimulants. You're probably a lot less likely to crave sugar and, and junky, junky stimulant foods. Um, you know, if you move a little bit more or a little bit more effectively, then you're going to sleep better. You know, if you eat better, then you're going to move better, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. and sleep better, you know? Yeah. It's just, yeah. If, I always say, if in doubt, take it back to the way that nature intended. That is all you mm. need to do. Don't worry about the colors. Don't worry about the pretty lights. Mm, yeah yeah there is a lot of distracting colors and pretty lights out there at the moment but yeah yeah when it comes down to it and it, uh, that is again I mean that's why you and I both love the the I guess the approach and the concept of the foot collective is you know it's it's holistic natural health but starting at the feet and the concept of living a barefoot lifestyle is a really good analogy for pretty much all other all of the other pillars of health um around you know obviously evolutionarily our feet should be barefoot or should be able to tolerate a lot of load and to be mobile and to be able to walk through a natural environment barefoot um and therefore you know they have certain needs from an evolutionary and physiological point of view that uh, you know makes sense based on our biological evolution and the same goes for our yeah um food same goes for our you know movement as a whole um same goes for our sleep same goes for our mind and the way we interact with relationships and i i do love that i guess yeah this this community of foot nerds um like yourself and georgina and andy and Braden and 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 obviously we've got a big community in Australia and then also a big community all across the world is all of these people are, have their own niches, you know, myself and Nick are physiotherapists and you're a naturopath and Georgina is a, a massage therapist and he's a podiatrist. And, but then we are all seeing it from that point of view of, well, just me doing what I'm doing isn't enough unless someone is also uh, looking at all of these other aspects. But Yeah, I, absolutely. It is. It's such a, it's such a great community. It's, you know, it's been amazing for me, my experience in it has been so, so amazing because, you know, as you say, we've all got this, um, the same focal points or the same, we're, we're all there for the same reason, but everybody's coming at it from that, from that slightly different angle. 
And mm. it is the fastest way to learn anything. It's great. I just love it. You know, it's just everyone's just got this really beautiful sort of open mindset. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's challenged me in ways um, that I didn't think it would. And, um, you know, I've never looked back. I just, I love it. Out of interest, what are some of those challenges if oh, you're willing to share? That's raw. That's raw. <laughs> uh, actually, I'll be honest. Um, it was definitely the community aspect. So uh, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's, look, it's a product of me sitting, you know, in an office working one-on-one with people for a very long time. And, um, yeah, and in some circles, in some naturopathic circles in particular, it can be quite, um, it's not competitive, but, you know, people sort of don't talk about protocols and they don't share what they're doing with people a lot. And, um, you know, so you just kind of keep on keeping on. And, um, yeah, the community aspect was just, I, I'm the first to admit when I first signed up, it was it was a case of kind of going, um, oh, yeah, 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 no, I understand the concept of that, whatever. But actually being a part, you know, and actually being a part of it, it's like whenever anybody asks me about the TFC, I, that's always what shines in for me. And I was like, the most amazing bunch of people I've ever met. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I know. So, it's it's definitely that's definitely how I view it as well. And all the footnotes that I've spoken to will tend to say, yeah, the best part of it is is the community and just the, yeah. the feeling of being being a part of something that's greater than just yourself. I think that's the the genius of the the collective aspect of it is, you know, there could be all these people who are sort of interested in barefoot stuff. Um, but once you create a collective of all these people that can share information, um, then it, it becomes a lot more powerful and you feel like you've got this, uh, you're part of a bigger direction and a bigger focus. Yeah. Look, in terms of like, in terms of like an information think tank, you know, it's, it, I think it's brilliant because, mm. you know, the whole concept, I mean, my work has always been very much between, you know, movement and food and, and, and a lot of these pillars, but, you know, to actually get you guys involved in, in, in my head with, you know, and you're coming from that position where you're professionals in that, in, in the movement, um, mm. you know, it's really just, it's capitalised on um, any information that I've, thought I ever had you know it's just this, it's this beautiful constant dynamic you know where it's forever evolving and I just I think we we're all growing a lot together like even the people who are not practitioners you know the experience yeah. that they bring to the whole to the whole thing I just love it it's so yeah good. yeah everyone has their own unique experience and it's all yeah it's all part of it and I think that's that's why I'm really excited to be doing these podcasts with you and and to be getting um more more of the footnotes on because having these chats, well, one from a selfish point of view, I just really like chatting with you guys and, and picking your brains on your expertise and everything. And, and also giving, um, I guess the outside community, you know, the, the rest of the TFC community, um, an insight into what we're doing and where we're coming from. And, and the podcast has been such a rewarding sort of project in that sense. Um, and also, I'm just really looking forward to getting down and visiting you guys in yeah, a couple of weeks. I can't wait. I can't it's wait. coming up. And, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so we all get to hang out in person and we'll get a few more podcasts going. And yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be going to be a good time. Um, yeah, I think if we can, um, I think if together we can all just start to deconstruct deconstruct all of the, the, the noise that's out there for people and actually just, you know, get them back to what really matters. Then um, you know, in terms of healing, 
you can't really do much better than that, you know, in terms of actually being the, the most healthful person that you can be. For sure. that, that is it <laughs> yeah because our body is a healing machine and if you give it Absolutely. the right things if you give it sort of the simple things that it needs then you'll you're, you'll become a healing and energetic machine well yeah um, look people used to laugh at me when i would say that because you know it is well once upon a time it was only a naturopathic principle and i, I know that we all are aware of that now but mm. you know when you say that the body can heal itself people just i don't think people realize that you know we've got that cell replication constantly you know mm. when you cut yourself yeah. it's healing it heals like the rest of the yeah. body can do that too you know you're laying down new things and if you yeah. you've got that choice between the hamburger and the, and the good quality food or the the you know the the stress response or or dealing with things in the right way in the healthful way the, the rest the recovery um then you're only going to capitalize when those cells and things start to reproduce and start to you know renew themselves they're going to do it in the right way you know you yeah. can actually i don't know i don't i can't remember how much of it how much time it actually takes to re for everything to reprogram into an entire entirely new body but you know it's actually not that long yeah it's seven years is yeah not <laughs> not really <laughs> yeah te- i think technically every seven years obviously it all happens gradually but not a single yeah. cell in our body is the same um seven years later uh or not not the same as it was seven years earlier so that's um that's pretty crazy well it is and i think if people sort of have that sort of time frame in mind and just go look it's not going to happen overnight we're not dealing with a drug that suppresses the symptom you know you're in it for the long haul but just make small changes and every day you'll get better yeah and and then you do you do really start to feel the difference those changes are making and then it becomes yeah, it be, that becomes addictive in its own right, or not addictive, but it becomes oh, very it does. Self, endorphins are amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. Well, that's, Agreed. That's probably a good spot to leave it. I know we're coming up on time. There's a there's a, a bunch of other topics that would be cool to go through, but I reckon they would all make sense into another follow up episode yeah. if you can. Sure. It'd be great to yeah. great to get one in person sometime as well. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on again and sharing your knowledge. And um, we'll link uh, anything that we talked about in the show notes. Um, I guess one thing to just before we sign off is just where people can find you, um, anything that you're working on or want people to check out. Yeah, sure. Um, Look, best way to find it, my my actual clinic work is uh, Natural Body Lab. So I am a practitioner down here in Melbourne, but I'm doing everything virtually now. So... I do have clients interstate as well as overseas. Um, so on Instagram, it's literally at Natural Body Lab. Um, and if you follow through that, like I do actually teach people about, you know, wild foods and herbs and things like that. But if you jump onto the, the clinic pages, then there's actually some links into that as well. So, yeah, Sweet. that's me. Yeah. Yeah, that the wild medicine and stuff is definitely something I want to get into in the next podcast. So it's a we'll, lot of we'll fun. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of hoping if we can like get out for a bit of a hike when you guys get down, then yes. um, yeah, it might still be mushroom season. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> no worries. All right. Thanks so Thank much, you. Thanks, James. Bye.